3: where the truth is really told. I'm Mark Saggers, and on the Sunday Night Club, we delve into the sports that matter, the controversial discussions that others aren't brave enough to have. Keith and Mark, we've got plenty of time in this hour now to uh, talk about refereeing, Uh, refereeing which has been under a spotlight that um, I I, I haven't wanted to see this season, but the officiating and VAR Mm. has been at times laughable at times and nonsense and at time very very worrying but if we can sort of start by by going back to think of what made both of you come into this uh, great part of our game and both have incredible careers Keith what what was it that you thought you know what I'd like to be part of this
2: well I mean I I, I was a, a player at a, a grassroots level in Sheffield when we had to go and have a referees exam uh, because a member of each team in Sheffield was expected to go and learn the laws of the game and then pass them on to your teammates. That's exactly what I did and I, uh, for my, a number of weeks after I passed the exam, I had no intentions of referee. and then I got a phone call from the county FA and before I could actually say no, the phone was put down and it was it was literally, You're refereeing Sheffield United Juniors versus Hillsborough Boys Club Intake School. Cabin Road. Still there, that pitch. And um, I I, I borrowed a shirt. I borrowed a whistle. Um, I got no kit whatsoever. (laughs) And and I I ran out onto the pitch. And, uh, I mean, the play was going one way and I was going the other. Um, And... I, eventually, I got into it. What What was really nice was that this guy came up to me after after the match and he said, I guess you're quite an experienced referee. The way you've refereed this game, you let it go and you allowed the game to flow. And I said to him, this is my first match. And I, and he looked shell-shocked. But I know what he did. He sent a letter into the county FA and because on the Tuesday, I got a call from the county FA saying we hope now that you might forget about playing football and, and take up refereeing and that, and that's how it all mm-hmm. started
3: and of course you were a decent Amazing. decent keeper mark as you like to keep telling us um, <laughs> before you started <laughs> think, refereeing yeah. now you were, uh, was it injury me, but... or what was it that made made you yeah. decide that yeah, you, you might get a career out of it
2: his eyesight yeah, I mean... was going
4: mark. mark his eyesight was going well, it's perfect
3: for a referee, then. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. said
4: it got worse when I started refereeing. Um, yeah, listen, I say I, I played many, many years as, as a, in, in the non-league. I'm starting out as you know, as a trainee at, at, at Tottenham, and then at uh, training at Barnet and Watford. Um, I sort of then drifted into non-league at uh, Hartford Town, St Albans, Cambridge City. Um, Wellington Garden City, and then sort of at the age of 28, I, I had a couple of serious injuries um, where I spent two to three weeks in hospital with a nasty leg injury, lost a few teeth in an elbow incident which a referee never saw, um, and I just fell out of love with the game really. Um, and it was a good friend of mine who, unfortunately, has now passed, has asked me, said to me, why not you, won't you get involved in refereeing because he's his house backed onto our cricket pitch, and in the summer I used to, I used to stop." play Football and then go and play cricket because I love me cricket. Not doing too well in the test, are we in mm. India? But, um, so he said to me, Why don't you become a referee? Because I was telling him I was, I was falling out of love with the game, and he said, Mark, why don't you, why don't you take up referee? And I said, Russell, you've got to be absolutely joking. There's absolutely no way I am becoming a referee. And it, it was funny that that summer I thought about it and I said to me, If I can, because you have to do an eight week course, yeah, you have to in, mm. in, in those days, um. I said, mm. if I can take the laws of the game test without doing this course, then I'll think about it. So I, I, they allowed me to take the exam. I passed the exam, and I never looked back. I, you know, I remember my first mm. ever game uh, for the Welling Hatfield Sunday League. It was uh, Arctic Lights v. Welling. Um, and all the Welling, and all the guys knew me because I, I played with them players on a Sunday or a lot of them when we played on a on a Saturday on a Saturday our Saturday team. Um, so they knew they knew what I was like, and my first ever game. No yellow cards, Keith. You know, I had a career not giving cards out, didn't I, Keith? So, um, but yes. I, I, re- I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and the lads, you know, seem to enjoy it as well. Uh, I just think that uh, playing the game, playing the game, helps you. It's not always about the laws of the game. It's about knowing the game of football. And I think there's, you know, is we're few and far between that have actually played at a good good standard like myself and Keith, um, that, that went on to referee and and, and we weren't that bad at it. I know some people will curse us and say we were one of the we were the worst referees going, but on the whole I think we were you know we were liked by the fans and, and, and I, I know certainly I got on well with the players and, and the managers because I, I remember Jose Raminio, R- Mourinho coming up to me after the game saying you're the twenty third player on the field of play. And that that, that sort of meant a lot because obviously I'm, I'm, I do know the game and as well as the laws
3: of the game. And and for you, mm. Keith, just finally in this point before we Steve uh, Chittenden joins us, and then we're also going to talk, obviously, with Nigel Owens a little later on in this hour. Um, do, do you have a feeling that uh, you know with players who've got injured and or others that have, that have found that they're not going to be good enough for the professional game, but could st- still have the athleticism? Have a bit of knowledge of the game. Should are they coming forward in enough numbers, or are, are, should refereeing be do even more at the moment to encourage these guys and women, of course?
2: I think I, I really think, Mark, that there's a there's a sort of barrier of entry for ex-professional referees because you know ex-professional players, should I say, because what they expect a professional player is to go back and referee in the local parks. For, for like, you know, when you, when you look at Mark's career, my, my own, I, I was 12 years at grassroots level before I got anywhere near the professional game. That's a long apprenticeship. And, and I, I've talked in the past with the FA and said, look, what, what you should do is credit uh, someone who's been in an academy or been a, a journeyman pro mm-hmm. player and work on the basis that you run a soccer school uh, just like you know uh, the, the the programs we see on television, where they take someone and they learn them how to cook or learn them how to sing or whatever, improve them. Then that's what I think they should do with with some academy players and some ex pros. You know, okay. they they're not earning thirty grand a week like the championship. So if you if you're down and you're a semi pro, you th- th- there ought to be a routine for those people because uh, you know. It's amazing how, when I look back, those uh, referees that I know that played the game, George McCabe, McLeod, from Sheffield, they played for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh was a goalkeeper at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. And he was, a, he was a good referee. McCabe was an international referee. Bob Matheson at, at Bolton Wanderers, he, he played at, at Bolton Wanderers, became a, a referee and soon got onto the professional list. So I think there are sufficient examples within the game that say, having knowledge and played the game, you can become mm. good referees yeah. like cricket umpires become good umpires. Yes, I, I couldn't right. I couldn't agree. I, I,
3: I, couldn't agree with, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Just Sucks, finally, coming, Mark, on coming, this. There, yeah, they're I want you to in come in here, but I want you also then very quickly before you say your point, finally for this part to ask you, you know, should there be, say, I don't know, 20 spots for or 10 spots every season available only for ex-professionals who fancy having a go? Yeah,
4: listen, by the way, myself, well, and, well, Steve Chim- yeah. myself and Steve Cheekman. Come, come through 000. Harz County FA. Yeah. So um, yeah. we know each other very yeah. well. But going on to what you're saying, Sags, is that if we look at professional cricketers, yeah. when they finish their career, they go into umpiring. Okay.
3: Yeah.
4: Where do they? A lot of them go into umpiring. Where do they start? Where do they do their training, their education, in the second eleven cricket?
3: Yeah.
4: Okay. So we, as Pete rightly said, we have we have a lot of um, professionals at League One, League Two, national league level that. You know, come to, they yeah. retire early. They don't earn the money that they do in a championship and, and the Premier League. So they're not going to be out. They need to. They need other jobs when they finish football. So why do we not see if we can fast track them? Make you know laws of the game, and they start their their careers in the national league, so they don't have to start yeah. right at the bottom. Yeah. So we they start in the national league. Some of them may not be good referees. Don't mean to say. An ex-player will become a good referee. because right. That's not the case. All of them are not going to become good referees, but we may get three, four, or five, six of them, which yes. is what we need. So exactly. I, I believe that we yeah. should fast-track some of these ex-pros when they start at the national league level. Delighted
3: to say that another referee and a man now who is uh, making a business with uh, quite rightly with. Uh, grassroots referees, which is uh, all different aspects to uh, the game uh, to help for those going forward. Steve Chitterton, who uh, joins us right now. Steve, very good evening to you.
0: Thank you. Hi, Mark.
3: Oh, It's good to have you with us. I mean, You've got to put up with these other two. I mean, already Halsey is, is laughing for some reason. <laughs> I
4: tell you what, he, he's changed a bit with age. Are you all right, mate? Yeah. I'm good. Are you well? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. I hadn't...
3: came because we, we came. We came through the to RCFA together, me and Chicks. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, the, the first thing I'm going to ask you about Steve here, and the others will no doubt uh, join in on this in a moment. I mean, you had it with great experience of, of a refereeing, and now you're doing more to it as well, with all sorts of part from referee kits to whatever, and mm-hmm. and continuing um, to be part of this. And uh, what one of the big things for all of us is. But it's getting the right referees now uh, to come into the game and to make sure that we are going to be able to cope with everything that the football authorities throw at referees these
0: days yeah I think I think the important thing um, when they're coming in at the bottom end is to, is to remember that they're all they're often learned from are the referees at the top level and uh, Mark will, will know this. Um, by the way, Mark, waiting for this green. I'm still active, still refereeing grassroots locally, still on the Hearts Ad League, which is a great league in St Albans and, and area. But I, the the thing right. that worries me is the discipline. The discipline in grassroots football is is on a massive decline. Mm. And... I have to say, a lot of that I think comes from what everybody sees at the top level. Um, I've always said that Saturday's fans become Sunday's managers, parents standing on the touchline. We're involved with a, with a, a brilliant Facebook um, uh, called Grassroots uh, Referees Discussion Forum. So it's a Facebook. Some of the posts that I see on there from 15, 16 year old referees. That have gone to do a game, they've passed through their course, they've gone to do their first one, two, three games, and they get abused by a parent of an under 10. Where's
3: the
4: safeguarding? Guys, guardian.
3: guys, I'm not, uh, because there's four of us in this discussion now, I'm going to sort of name you before you come back in and have got a point to. Uh, Sarah, we're all talking over each other, which is of no, no news for the, to the viewers. Off you
4: go,
1: Sags. You
3: can give me Get a red off. card, but you can't because <laughs> this is my show, mate. <laughs> What's that? Off, mate. Does that look like good enough one for you at the moment? Uh, yeah, i accept that. Ray. Or should we have one of those and put you in a sim bin oh, for no. five minutes? That. Put, that <laughs> bin, put that in the bin, Put that in No, no, <laughs> just not one of ours, Mark. <laughs> just to go one, one back on you, Steve. For that, I mean, this is a really difficult problem, isn't it? All round, where uh, dads and mums and everybody else and, and the, the, the the kids watch all of this and see them getting away
0: with all of this, which is never going to help any of us. No, and and I mean, for me, one of the worst jobs at the top end of the game now is the fourth official. He's like easy, easy bait. You know the way the managers are up to the fourth official and, and berating him, and it's Mark will tell you, Keith, it's a horrible yeah. job, fourth yeah. official. You 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 stood between the benches, and and that cascades down, and so players think they can act like that. The, the parents standing on the tux line, they think it's right. If a decision goes against their side, they believe it's right to to berate the referee. doesn't care doesn't matter his age, it doesn't matter male or female, they think it's their, their right to be able to berate the
3: referee. So, from what you've said there, Keith, and I'll bring you in, Keith, and then you, Mark, as well on this one. I've been I was thinking about this before because I was I was at the peterborough Cambridge United match yesterday, and I wasn't too far uh, away from the fourth official. Would there be a, a possibility, do you think, for players or ex-players or those interested in refereeing that ha- don't have the mobility to be a referee or an assistant, that you could still have well, even people like myself or you guys coming back into the game as a fourth official, that your job is, is that job on the sideline? Keith?
2: I think that there's uh, credence in what you say, because I I think that fourth official often, if he's operating with a young up-and-coming referee, if you get the right fourth official, uh, half-time and full-time, as part of the review of the game and the performance, that could be passed on and be very valuable. And there may be some idea that in that situation, that referee has the same fourth official, week in, week out, mm. to build that relationship and and to build the trust in each other. But at the moment, it's out of control. And, you know, I, I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, the fourth official role is, is, is a job that nobody wants mm-hmm. uh, because it, it's nothing to do with refereeing. It's actually sorting out two managers. And then we look now, there's a busload of people in each technical area. Yeah.
3: But and, you, I don't. You know, I think you're right. I don't. I think you're right there, Keith. In that it isn't a job, possibly for the referee or their assistants, but it's the sort of job I would have enjoyed doing. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have wanted to have been a, a referee or an assistant. But to to stand there, to having trained to know the laws and what they're doing, I would find that that for me, if I was wanting to be that, and there'll be many others, I'm sure. Yeah, you know what? I'll have a bit of this and I'll I'll do it in the right way. Not to make a name for myself or anything like that, but we'll, we'll have that. So we've got three men there doing it. You're the fourth member of the team and away you go, Mark.
4: Yeah, I think listen. isn't. It's a, it's a good idea. I think if you in the, if you look at the UEFA competitions in the Champions League and the Europa League, they have a they have a delegate there that, that takes care of the substitutes mm. and, and 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 they get the ball ready, they, they fill in all the cards for the fourth official, he has nothing to do with that, and then they then they go and put the ball up, the fourth official. So yeah, I think that the, the fourth official's gotta concentrate on what's going on in the field of play. You can't keep looking around, look, looking down, filling in the card because you might miss something. That's on the field of play, or miss something that's going on in the technical area. But I think it's down to the the, the full official and his personality about about managing that that technical area. Yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to engage with the managers. You've got to be, you've got to have a smile on your face with them. You've got to. It's about managing the game, managing the players, and managing the technical area. Yeah. And it's how you how you talk to those players and and the, and the tech, in the technical area It I, makes a massive difference. Yeah. If, if you if you can't if you can't if you can't engage them. And humour them and talk with them, then then you're going to lose them. It's First, about getting them, getting them on your side and, and keeping them in place. And if you if if you if you are polite with them and, and you you have a smile and a, a little joke with them, they will respond to you. You will you will, they will then respect you and then they will behave themselves. I never ever. Had a problem in, in the technical area with, with managers. Well, let's,
3: never. Let, Steve, I'll come back to you here if I may. So, with what you're <laughs> saying there, and, and we all know about this, you know, this behavior from parents mm. and everything, what is the way forward for that? Is it a twofold that referees um, have the ability to um, not only send, you know, managers and there are a number of others on the bench there. To the stands, but that they 're then punished properly for that, with not draconian punishment, but much more punishment than they get at the moment, which causes a problem with them running their football teams, and therefore they would see more of that lower down and 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 a similar sort of thing, or else you know where you 're starting as a referee, you might be walking and getting into your car or onto your bike as a young man or woman thinking, I don't want to do this,
0: and I haven't even got anywhere yet. Exactly. So that was my point, that, that these young referees, you know, thousands of referees pass through the course that the county FAs run each year, but they go to their local park. I'm not saying it's every single one of them, but, you know, if you're a 15-year-old boy, girl, and you get abused at a game, you're going to go home and think, not sure if I want to carry on doing this. Um When Mm. you go back to Alcott, I'm not sure what the solution is, by the way, but I know the FA are talking more about bringing in more volunteers at grassroots level that do the referees' course, which I think would be an excellent idea. I think each team at each club should maybe have two, three, four referees within the team, parents that that sit the referees' course. And then at least somebody there who might offer a bit of support because these young referees might get dropped off at a, at a club and they might do three or four games on a Sunday. So they might get left there at 15. They might be on their own. And I just think if you've got somebody within a club or within a team, they did run a mentor scheme the club had to put forward a club delegate. But I think mm, if you to encouraged volunteers from the team to mm. sit the referee's course and be identified as a referee, that could help the situation. I think it will give support to the young referees.
3: One of the other problems that, uh, that I've foreseen this, Keith, as as well as been, it is different these days. Everybody's got to keep with the times and there are there are different things that cause complex problems with this. I, my late father was a PE teacher. He was a football referee. Um, and he refereed at all stages at school level and uh, county games and, uh, and other things as well and um but he he took no nonsense but but he but he had the backing of being a credible teacher at a school that played decent football now yeah. um yeah. you know that that sort of thing has, has turned round now keith in that you know it's it's not so much in schools playing football it's these clubs outside schools who don't have that extra discipline available to them
2: yeah i th- I you know mark the, the more i think about this and. Um, I'm going to say something I think is controversial. I, I think that the FA are bringing in kids at too young an age to actually a referee. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that you need to be, have a degree of uh, maturity. So if, if they are going to continue bringing referees in at 14, 15 years old, then those referees have got to officiate within, an, if you like, a football academy. They've got to be protected. You know, and and you know, I mean, I mean, there was there was a guy uh, Jeff who who ran NH A&H, A&H International. We we knew him as a as a referee since past, and he used he used to have an academy at Charlton Athletic, and he used to bring these young referees in, but they were protected. There were no parents. They weren't allowed into the academy, and so I think there needs to be a review as to how you can actually better, uh, if you like, educate the individual and protect that individual. Because there's no point in someone sitting a course for 150 quid, cost me nothing, by the way, Mm. now costs them 150 pounds. They've then got to go to Steve and they get a special deal on the kit, which is fantastic. And then they referee about three games and pack in. You know, my own club. Brought six. We paid for six young young people to go through the course. Only two of those are now continuing to referee, Mm -hmm. even though they're in a reasonably protected environment. As soon as they hit, uh, are hit with criticism, which is quite cutting. You know, these are these are parents that can be really uh, aggressive in their approach, and and no wonder these kids suddenly go, I'm not having that, and walk away, which is a pity because sometimes we lose them to the game as a whole. Mm. Look,
3: you make some great points there, Uh, Keith. Um, We're going to be staying on. Steve, it's been great to have you. Just a final thought from you, if I may, in this part of the show as well. Um, As uh, Keith was saying there, you know, you're very much part now business-wise and others within Mm. uh, refereeing that that you did yourself so well at as well, is that... um, you, you know, there are enough people to want to take this forward, but the parents have got to want to understand.
0: They've got to understand. Sorry, it's the old adage. No referees, no game. And I see it now come away from the younger referees. I see it happening more in grassroots football, where I think it will ultimately come to a point where, where senior referees, by age I mean senior referees, doing grassroots football, will say, Do you know what, we're not going to referee that club we're not going to go and referee mm. that club because of the way we treat it. So it will, it will ultimately may come out of the hands of the, the county FA's disciplining. The, the leagues, league, who I know their hands are tied to take any action until the county FA is taking action. And it may be the referees who say, we, we don't want to referee that club. And that's where I think mm. it, it really will go.
1: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
3: I'm joined now by one of the greats of uh, Rugby Union who retired in 2020 and Nigel Owens um, uh, joins us as well Nigel thank you very much indeed for being uh, part of this uh, today and you know we've talked here a lot about football as opposed to rugby football and the lack of discipline now for young referees starting out wasn't it one of your own school teachers that that helped you first get into refereeing as a youngster
5: yes, um I, I was uh, good evening everybody. i was I was playing rugby in in school. Um, I was sixteen years of age, and um I wasn't very good. And uh, we <laughs> hadn't won a game all season. Um, and we had an opportunity to to win the last game of the season. We'd been hammered because we were quite a new school, a Welsh uh, school, so quite a new school numbers are low at that time, and the score was twelve all, and uh, my my best friend, Wayne Thomas scored a try at the end of the game. My other great mate, Craig Bunnell, was a captain, and I said, look, I—I the conversion was to come right in front of the post. And I said, look, I, I'll, I'll take the conversion, thinking it's easy in front of the post, we will win 14-12, I'll be a hero in school. <laughs> and I took the conversion and it went, uh, Closer to the corner flag than it did between the upright and my sports teacher, John Biden, <coughs> and the late John Biden, unfortunately, he said he said, Nigel, he said, for for God's sake, will you go referee or something? And and, and that's how it all started, <laughs> just because of that misconversion. Um
3: but uh, uh, as well, I don't have you ever interestingly, ever refereed any football matches?
5: The round ball at all? I have actually. I did a charity um football event about Oh, five six months ago,
2: okay.
5: Uh, in a small village, not far raising um, money for cancer charities, and um, I was ref in the game. and I said to the players, they were so well behaved, and I said to the players, Um, don't tell them you behave like this every Saturday. And they um said, One of the players said to me, no, we don't," he said. But uh, you don't referee us on Saturday, so um, they were very well behaved. It was a, it was a fun tournament, so the pressures of winning were, were not there. But uh, there's a football field right next door to the house where I live here, and so I watch a little bit of football because my godson used to play. He's obviously a bit older now. We but um, he used to play for the juniors and stuff, so I watch a little bit of bit of bit of football on on the local community side here, and I enjoy watching football most much of the day usually, rather mm-hmm. than watch a whole live game, you know.
3: What about uh, on this this point then? Because football for us, with difficulty, we've talked about uh, junior football for youngsters now where referees are getting, you know, as as young as 15 and 16, getting abused by mums and dads on the touchlines. Was was rugby a different uh, view from that because there was more discipline and more respect for the referees at the various different levels as you made your way to the top?
5: Yeah, there, there certainly is a difference. I don't think rugby can take the moral high ground because a lot of things that rugby can, can do better and need to do better. Um, and there is abuse in rugby as well, uh, particularly at sort of junior level. Not to the extent I think that football is, but certainly it is in rugby. So rugby certainly can not say that it's, there's no issues there. And that issues have changed. Um, society has changed and that I think mm-hmm. has changed in sport, in all sports as well. What I believe rugby does better than football is the abuse is there, um, but it tends to deal with it. So when it does uh, arise itself, rugby does tend to deal with it, but football doesn't seem to. Um, and this, you know, the boys can say better than I can. From looking from the outside in, it seems to me that they they're not interested in dealing with the issues where, where rugby tends to to deal with it and try to keep on on top of it Um, and i think i think that is is the difference i think um and it's got to start it's got to start at the very top of the game because unless you set the standards at the very top the kids on a sunday morning or a saturday morning will just do what what their heroes on on match of the day on the saturday night will will do and that and that filters down Mm -hmm. so um that's what I think rugby does. Rugby deals with it a bit better than, than mm. football does. But there are issues in rugby as well, but uh, certainly mm. not not to the extent that there is, I think, in football.
3: So, Keith, just sort of hear a, a point from you on this and then you, Mark, as well. What we really need to see from the PGMOL now then is, and, and I agree with all of this, is that we, we there are tough things that have to be done, even if it is for really bad behaviour inside those um, managerial zones on the touchline?
2: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that Nigel was brilliant at is, well, two things. Uh, The quality of his decisions, his ability to communicate brilliantly. And, uh, you know, I mean, just staying on top of the game, being proactive. Mm -hmm. I I feel that in football at the moment, the referees themselves are reactive uh, they're, they're coming in far too late, they're allowing too much to happen. And that has to be, over recent years, the, the lack of leadership and guidance. And if you like, the, kick, the boot up the rear of the individual who's not performing. You know, Ultimately, at the end of the day, if a referee loses form or is not good enough for that competition, then you have the hard task The PGMOL to say, right, we're going to remove that individual. But this is down to training, coaching, education. Mm -hmm. We say this on a regular basis. Proactive refereeing is required. Then the authorities have got to recognize that there is a problem and they need to deal with it. You know, five years ago, I chatted with Nigel on a TV show about VAR and what he was predicting and saying at the time has absolutely happened. He talked about that tightrope walker. He mm-hmm. talked about lazy referee. We've had five years of continuous, lazy, inconsistent officiating. Mm-hmm. And some the only people that can do this right is the PGMOL to bring in the right management.
3: Okay. And Mark, for you, away from um, Keith, let's say, or, or the, the, the referees who are all together at the PGMOL, if you if you had a bad one, or you have found that at the time you weren't quite at your your highest level, was there anybody that you, as a top referee, could turn to, or were you expected yeah. to sort of just be able to suck it and get on with it?
4: No, I mean, listen, Keith. Keith, Keith was my manager. Um, we had a, we had a coach, a dedicated coach. And um, yeah, I mean, listen, we're not we're human. We can't be always at the top of our game. Um, and if, if I had a, any different performance, I would I would speak to Keith or I'd speak to my coach. And mm. then he would give me that confidence and, and, and to go out and, and forget to park that. Oh, the best referees park there in different games, park their mistakes and learn from them, move on and go on to the next game. But Nigel makes a great point that it starts at the top. It start, The discipline starts yeah. at the top. The managers, the players, they have to set the examples. Now, week in, week out, we see we see players surrounding referees, berating referees, okay? Now, and all the FA do, they hand, out, they hand out fines here, fines there, fines to all the clubs. Start deducting them points. Yeah. That okay. will then start sorting out the discipline.
3: I understand all of that. Nigel, the, the, the other great ability that we have as viewers as well um, of rugby matches is that we we can hear the hear what you're saying. Mm.
2: Um, mm.
3: Which again I think is vital. And and that not only helps the referee, it makes the you know, I guess it's taken a bit of time, but those even, you know, top players at international or top club level, they know that they they've got to just watch it a little bit.
5: Yeah. I, I think in, in rugby, um again, probably more so than football, it, it was needed, it was bought in because it's such a complicated game with a mm. lot of interpretation, a lot of of you know, some, some rules in football are pretty clear that in black and white, there's no ifs or buts about it. In rugby there's a lot of ifs or buts about the decision, which sometimes to a, a referee's interpretation. So it is vital for rugby. You can go into a football stadium for the first time ever, and as long as somebody next door to you explains the offside rule then you can follow the game of what's happening. In rugby, it's not as simple as that. So it's, it's in to, to grow the game, to grow the audience and explain. And that has helped. It has helped the decision-making of people understanding. Um, and I think that's probably a bit of the problem with football at the moment, and particularly around the VAR, because people in the stadium and even people at home are sitting there and seeing a decision changed or not given and they don't understand why. And if there was an explanation of, this is why we are disallowing this goal, or this is why we're allowing the score, or this is why we're giving this decision, then whether you could agree with it or not, people could understand, I can understand no follow the decision. So that I think hasn't helped with the issues of VAR in, in football at the moment. And, and I was speaking to somebody in rugby couple, uh, last week about this. Mm. The problem with technology is now, People expect you to be perfect. You can't be perfect. And what will happen is if you try to be perfect on the field as a player or as a referee, then the perfect becomes the enemy of of the good. Yeah. All you want the referee to be is to make the good, clear, standout decisions, not the technical one where you have to dissect it within the millimeter or within the inches. They don't want we don't need that. No. You want the Stop. big decisions a- to, to be given. And that's a problem with, I think, with technology in rugby with TMO and VAR, if you look, rugby, I can put my heart in it and say, the decision-making is not better than rugby now without technology, it's something it's worth. There's a lot more controversy. Every game now in the Six Nations, part the odd one, A lot of rugby games now is all about controversial refereeing decisions. If you look at football, there's a lot more controversy around football matches now since the introduction of of VAR than there was before. So you really have to strip the technology back to minimum to Mm. use it so that the referee are still making those decisions and only relying on technology as a last resort, Mm. not becoming lazy and relying on technology to do a lot of the decisions. And that I think is contributing a lot. And what happens then is, when you have a lot of this controversy happening in the game, what happens then, particularly on social media, it then encourages the abuse of officials because there are decisions that are becoming controversial and, and right or wrong. It doesn't make the abuse right at all, but it certainly is a factor in it. We are seeing an increase in abuse because we are seeing an increase in controversial decisions in both sports.
3: And just looking at the one difference in the two sports is the clock that stops a lot in rugby, that it doesn't in football. They then guess at the end of the game how many extra minutes to put on, I think, half the time. But with that in mind, I also was reading uh, David Walsh the other day, excellent writer in the Sunday Times, that you know rugby is now under focus again for the extended time mm. that it takes because of all of these extra things to actually play
5: the game. And do you know where rugby doesn't it and it does it does hinder it takes away from the game mm. but rugby has a lot of natural stoppages so mm. when you do have a stoppage say for 30 40 seconds or a minute or so because of injury or, or ball goes to touch you have a natural stoppage you can check something with your tmo and as long as it's overdone then it doesn't take away from the game one of the beauties of football is one of its many beauties it's a nice simple game and the flow is important mm. you know football wants that things are moving flowing all the time in football and once you bring in the technology which interrupts the flow and the stop starts of the game it adds on a lot of time at the end of the, I was watching one football game last week I'm not last week last month I think and yeah. it was something like 10 it said 10 minutes added on time yeah we still yeah. playing twelve minutes, and I was going oh, what, you know what what's going on here so yeah that that again doesn't yeah. help as well and just one final
3: point from you here, thank you very much for joining us, Nigel and we'd love to get you back again with the boys to to talk more about other things that both sports need uh, to sort out. Do you feel that um football could ever get to a stage where a trainer wouldn't get in the way of a game if he was to Um, come onto the field and tend to a player that didn't have a concussion injury let's say that that rather than this going down now in every Mm. single part of the the pitch just to stop the game and, and help you use that as an extra defender really
5: Yeah, I I would think so, because what you have is a lot more space on the football field. So somebody tending somebody in a certain place of the field, you have a lot more space to carry on. Rugby is quite more crowded. Obviously, there are 30 players on the pitch, not not your 22. So, yeah, it's certainly some. Do you know what I think would help with football a lot? If you had the review process of sighting afterwards. So when you have an issue in the game Mm -hmm. on the Saturday, you can review it. The referees, managers, whoever's in charge can, can review it and they can say, this is is cheating, this is ungentlemanly conduct, Uh, this was play-acting, we can prove it here on the review, and for that reason you are now going to be banned for two or three games. It would help a lot in cutting out a lot of things that are contributing to issues, not just in football, but in rugby as well.
3: Brilliant stuff, Nigel. Nigel, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, with your expertise and taking time out. Uh, I've got some great uh, points being made by uh, um, a lot of the viewers and listeners here, so... Hopefully, we may well be able to get you back on a, on another occasion. Final yeah, my, thought... my, my pleasure. Oh no, it's been great, Mark. Um, in uh, just a few seconds from you, that some great advice there.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Nigel, spot on. I think that we we need we we in 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 rugby we can hear everything that's being said. We need to hear that in football. We need and to hear that. Then everybody would respect the decision and understand. And
3: Keith, final thought from you.
2: I think Nigel's spot on. I I, I I agree with what he's saying. I think that cascade from the top is so important.
3: That's it for this episode of Back of the Stand. And thank you to all my guests and, most importantly, to you. Hope we've given you something to speak about. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. So from me, Mark Saggers, we'll take that step up to the back of the stand next time. Goodbye.